0: This is The Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I am Pastor Joe Faldette. We have worship at 9.30 a.m. during the summertime. We can be found online at HosannaFreeLutheran.com and in podcast format on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app as The Kingdom at Hand. Our sermon today is going to be from Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 12 you please rise out of honor of God's word. Last week we talked about Christian unity. This week we're going to be looking at Christian diversity. They read in Jesus' name. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask that if we, as we come to study it, Lord, that you would guide us in it, Lord, and that you would be glorified, Lord, that our lives might be changed by your power, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so, well, Paul's discussion on diversity is it starts out with this but. And, you know, usually when you run into the word but in a sentence, that means that it negates everything that comes after it. But here, it actually is not a continuation, but it's a, it's a change of subject. And so you could say, however, we are all united. However, does that mean that we are all the same? Does that mean that we all express the same gifts in the same way? Does that mean that we are all to look exactly alike? And if you just, you know, look around, you will notice that nobody here looks alike. We all look differently. Praise God. And that's the way it is with Christian diversity. We are all one in Christ. One hope. One faith, one baptism, one God over all, who is in all, who fills all. That is one God. We all look to Him. We all trust in Him. And so we are all united. However, we are not all the same. What does that mean? Well, Paul starts out, or he doesn't start out. I'm actually going to change the order of this a little bit because Paul is basing this upon a quote from the Psalms. Uh, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men in saying he ascended, what does it mean, but that he also descended into the lower regions, of the earth, who also descended he who, all, who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things and so christ 's filling of all things this this idea of our diversity actually begins with the idea that Christ came down from heaven. And so we have the incarnation. But not only do we have the incarnation. We have, at, after the cross, we have Christ descending even lower and experiencing the realities of hell. Now this doesn't mean that hell exists in the center of the world. That, that's not necessarily what it means. Um, is it possible that hell, which is a spiritual place, exists in the middle of the world? I suppose, you know, but that that's not what this is, this is that's not what this is teaching. This is teaching that Christ has, well, he, that he's gone through it at all. So when it speaks about Christ descending into the lower regions, into the earth, it means that Christ has gone lower than all of us have ever experienced. How many of you can think of a time when life seemed dark, hard, terrifying even, awful? something that you would describe as like hell. Because Christ experienced the realities of hell. Why? Why did he have to experience that which is the worst? Paul says here it's so that he could, he could fill it all. And so Christ, who is, who is God, who, who never knew anything other than Godhood, became man, descended into the lower regions, the earth, and depending on your translation, this could mean the lower regions of the earth, as in this is his incarnation. Or it could mean that after, um, after his crucifixion, that he descended into hell and proclaimed victory. But why did Jesus have to go through all of that and then come back up through? Why did he do that? Have you ever wondered that? Like, have you ever thought about that passage in First in Peter, where it says that Jesus descended into hell and then proclaimed victory? you ever thought about that? That's a really weird passage, isn't it? And even this one is really strange. Why did Jesus have to descend into hell? It's so that there's nothing. Well, part of the application of it, I can't say that the so that, because that would speak to a singular purpose. But part of the application, part of the reason, is for us. He did this for us. And so there's no hardship that you have ever gone through That Jesus hasn't experienced something that bad or worse. And so when we talk about Jesus as Lord. He says, I've been there. I've been in that darkest place. He has, there is no sin that is so bad that Jesus has not experienced it. Indeed, Jesus experienced the wholeness of all of our sins when he died on the cross. He took upon himself the sins of the world to such a degree that God forsook him. How many of you have ever actually been forsaken by God? None of you. Praise God. God has had mercy on us that he has not forsaken us. We deserve it, but he hasn't. Jesus was so sinful on that cross, taking the sins of humanity upon himself, even though he was innocent of them all. He voluntarily took them. He experienced The depths of the darkest realities of humanity on the cross. So that no matter what we struggle with, to the end, to an end, that no matter what we struggle with, no matter what sin, no matter what doubt, no matter what temptation, no matter what fear, no matter what pain, no matter what sorrow, we have experienced, Christ has experienced worse. You know what that means? He knows how to gain victory in the worst. Because not only did he descend, not only did he go down into the worst that exists, not only did he descend, but he also ascended. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. So when he was in hell, He proclaimed victory. What does that mean? Hell has no power over him. If hell has no power over Jesus, how much more does cancer contain no fear for Jesus? And then no fear for those who walk in Jesus. If he is my Lord, he now knows the way out. I was reading a book Nathaniel lent to me um, talking about trees. (laughs) Because I'm weird and I read books on trees. But, Nathaniel gave it to me, so it's his fault. And in that book, the author of the book was out in this big forest called the Pine Barrens in New Jersey, and he got lost. But, but he noticed the direction of the stream when he walked in. He doesn't know why he noted it, but he noted the direction of the stream when he walked in. So as he and his family were lost out in this woods, he found a crick. And he said, well, all I have to do is... Go upstream, and I'm going to find my way out. Because the streams flow into the Pine Barrens. And so then all he had to do was follow this creek upstream, and he was alive to write this book. Which means he got out. Praise God, because otherwise that would have been, well, bad. So Christ descended all the way into the darkest experience. He descended into hell. Really, in reality, he descended into hell. And from there, he proclaimed victory. He says, I've won. I have won in hell. Here's how you get out by following me. He then becomes our guide, our Lord. He is worthy of that because no matter the darkness that we are experiencing, we can follow Jesus and gain victory over that darkness. He gained victory over hell. How much more can I gain victory over sorrow, over frustration, over pain, over terror, over disappointment? If Jesus can gain victory over hell by following him, I can gain victory over whatever my life brings to me. This is the promise that we have here in this passage. And so then he has filled all of these things, it says. What does it mean that he has filled them all? It means that no matter what strata we exist in within this world, he has gained victory over that. And so there's nothing, if you're following Jesus, that deserves your fear. He's gained victory. He has descended, he has ascended. And then as he ascended, he gave gifts to men. What does this mean? No matter what temptation, he's overcome it. He's overcome it. He does not tempt us beyond what we can bear. So that means that Christ gives diversity. Because as Christ descended and then ascended, he has gone through it all. This means, according to this passage from Psalms, this means... And he gave gifts to men. So, not only did he go through all of this, but he went through all of this so that he could distribute all that he has to all of us. So that in this world, we can experience the blessings of overcoming. In this world, we can experience the joys of holiness and of sanctification. Because as we have been given these various gifts, We have been given various paths that Jesus has already walked. And so we have different callings. We've used the word vocation before. And the word vocation means, well, it it means a job. It means a calling to do in my life. As Well, as myself, I have a number of vocations. I can go through some of them. I'm not going to go through all of them. Otherwise, I'd just be talking about that. But I am a pastor. That is a vocation. I have a calling and responsibilities with that. But I'm also a husband. I have a vocation. That is my vocation. I have callings and responsibilities as being a husband, as being a father, as being a son, as being a member of St. James's community. I have responsibilities with that. All of the hats that I wear, all of the situations that I find myself in, in, I have callings. And I am called to fill those out According to the gifts that Christ has given me. Not according to the gifts that Christ has given Ken Hansen. Because Ken's role as a husband is going to be different than my role as a husband. Because Kirsten's different than Kathy. Does that make sense? And so Christ has given us all gifts because he has created us diverse. We're told in the book of Psalms also that God has made our inner beings, our very hearts, And so our wants, our desires, our passions, our hopes and dreams, why do we have those? Have you ever wondered that? Why does Kevin have a desire to cut wood? Janet, has that ever gone through your mind? I would really like to have a sawmill. (laughs) No? (laughs) You could see Janet out there in the front yard with a big old sawmill loading 35-pound logs. No, Why? why? Why does that exist? Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? I'm guessing that Kevin's never had a desire to wash windows. I haven't either. That's weird. I can't actually say that. I, I have because sometimes my windows have gotten so bad and you know, the kids playing with the hose on the deck that it's like there's they're just water spots all over my windows. Um, I wanna be able to see outside. So I, I have been had that desire. It just doesn't happen very often. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Why these division why this diversity? These are graces of God. But grace was given to each one. And so now Paul's not talking to us as a group, but Paul's talking just just as a group. Now Paul is talking to us as a group of individuals. Saying each one of us has been given grace. Each one of us has been given talents and desires. Each one of us has been made differently according to the measure of Christ's gift. So then the question comes, well, how do I use my idiosyncrasies? How do I use my weirdness? Because I don't know about you guys, but for some reason, I have a desire to study Greek so that I can understand the scriptures more. That's just there. I don't understand it. You know, and I, I try to, I get excited about things. I get excited about words, and people are like, Okay, that's nice. I'm going to back up now. You stay there. Why? How do I use that? Well, then we look to Jesus. How did Jesus use, like, so this is for me. How did Jesus use his knowledge of Scripture? Well, that's that's how Jesus used it. Because Jesus taught. Jesus explained well, that's how Jesus used it. That's how I'm to be using it. Jesus corrected. Jesus encouraged. You know, you hear some of Jesus' corrections and it's like, whoa, that's that's harsh. Jesus was harsh with his knowledge of Scripture. Jesus used his knowledge of Scripture to fight temptation. Okay, these are ways that, according to Christ's gift, according to how Christ used these things, there I am to be using these things. Passions, desires. I was listening to a, Jordan Peterson talked to a guy named Bishop Barron. Bishop Barron's a Catholic Catholic bishop in Los Angeles. And I was listening to it, and jealousy came up. I thought, well, this is weird. So I stopped. And in all honesty, this isn't scripted. (laughs) Maybe I I should leave this behind. But jealousy popped up. I was like, okay, what's going on here? I know that jealousy towards another person is sinful because I'm not supposed to be envying people. So what's going on? I confessed it. You know, Lord, forgive me for this. Uh, And then this passage came into my mind. So is there something below this jealousy that's actually good, that's been twisted to make it bad? Well, I realized that there was a desire for recognition. Okay, what's, What's this desire for recognition? Is that just bad? Should I say, Father, forgive me for any desire for recognition? Well, I don't know. Well, how did Jesus do it? What did Jesus do? You know, did Jesus shun recognition? No. But nor did he pursue it as an end of itself. Why did Jesus pursue recognition? Did he pursue it in an easy way, like jumping off the temple and then being let down by angels? That would have been pretty cool. You know, everybody would have saw it. Would have seen it. Sorry. Did Jesus pursue recognition in an easy manner? Well, no. Okay, so then if recognition shouldn't be pursued simply, like fame and fortune, not that. So how do I pursue recognition in a godly manner? Well, Jesus allowed it to come, but it came then through the things that he was doing. And then when that recognition left, he said, okay, I'm going to continue on in my life. I'm going to continue on in my ministry. That's a recognition isn't a bad thing I realized. And I'm I'm realizing. I'll put that in the present tense because this is, I'm actually, this is like live streaming what's going on in my head. So how did Jesus do it? Jesus was faithful in his ministry. People came to recognize that. But as people came to recognize what was going on, they also then tried to make him into something that he wasn't supposed to be. And when he said, I'm not going to become that thing I'm not supposed to be, I'm going to continue to be the one that I'm supposed to be, everybody left. And Jesus said to his disciples, well, you guys want to walk, leave too? Peter said, well, we can't. We've got nowhere else to go. You're the one that's got the words of life. And then Jesus told them about his death. He said, this is my end. Whether or not he was going to be recognized, that wasn't what he's pursuing. It's not an end. It's not a goal, it's a reality. So then we have to appreciate, we have to look at these diversities. We have to look at ourselves and say, does this desire that I have, is this representing Christ properly? If he's my Lord, then all of these things are supposed to come into submission to him. And be submitted in the manner in which he would do it. And so that's Christ's gift, Christ, this gift given to Christ, then given to me so that I might again represent Christ. So that I might reveal Christ in all of his glory and all of his splendor. And this was given and then specifically these gifts are given to the church. Now all of these gifts are given to each and every person, but these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are given to the church. And I don't, in all honesty, I don't know exactly what this means. I have read books on this verse, and I don't know exactly what it means to be an apostle. I don't know exactly what it means to be a prophet. I have ideas, but I don't know enough to actually preach that, to be an evangelist, to be a pastor and a teacher. I know kind of what it means to be a pastor and a teacher. Because I'm supposed to be leading people, individuals, in their walk with Jesus. And teaching them, obviously, teacher. But nevertheless, even within the leadership of the church, there is going to be diversity. And that's good. You don't want every person to look like me. Not everybody who is called to lead needs to look like Pastor Joe. Pastor Joe is not the epitome of church leadership. There's going to be diversity. Praise God. There's going to be diversity of opinions. There's going to be diversity of pursuits, of goals, of methods, of manners. Praise God. We should pursue those. So that the church can reach into areas that otherwise it won't be reaching. If everybody looked like me, the church would reach people that look like me. But you know, there's not a lot of people that look like me in this world. And that's why God has called all of you too. So that the world can be reached. Not just philosophers who like linguistics. Like that's a very small section of the society. Praise God, otherwise our world would be a lot drier. Um, But the purpose then, purpose of church leadership is to equip the saints. The word used for equipping, when Jesus was walking in Galilee and he saw... Peter, and I think Andrew, out in the boats. I think it was that. I'm forgetting who exactly it was, but Peter had talked to a couple couple of the disciples in the boats, and he said, come and follow me. What were they doing at that point? They were equipping their nets. This is the same word that Paul uses here was the word used there in the Gospels. And so what does it mean to equip? It means not just to give tools to But actually it's speaking about the nature of the thing that needs to be equipped. Because the thing comes broken and needs to be fixed so that to a specific end. So that it's usable for work. That's how you equip something. You know, like if you darn socks. I don't know if people ever do that anymore. Why would you darn socks? Is it so you can put them up on your mantelpiece and show, hey, let's look at what we've darned. No, it's so that you can wear them again. And so is the same idea with equipping. These things are meant to be equipped so that they can be useful for work. They need to be mended so that they can be useful for work. If you've got a net with a bunch of holes in it, is that going to do a good job of catching fish? No! And this is interesting because it's for the equipping of the saints. You know what this means? We come broken. Those gifts and those desires and those passions that you have, they come broken. When you become a Christian, you enter into Christianity pre-broken because of sin. Congratulations. None of us are whole. None of us are perfectly fixed. But that's why we require the church to fix us, to equip us so that we might be useful for the work of God. Because this is the problem that our world has. The problem that our world has is that they have all of their beautiful diversity twisted so that it comes back upon themselves. People live their lives for the sake of environmentalism instead of for the sake of the one who created the environment. People live their lives in order to get money in order for this, instead of for the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Is a desire for financial security evil? No. But it must be sanctified. It must be mended. Is a desire for order evil? No. But it must be sanctified. It must be mended so that it can do the work of God instead of doing the work of humanity. It's a desire for a clean environment. Evil. No. But if you want to kill people so that you have a clean environment, it has become twisted. And it needs to be sanctified and brought into line with Christ. And so that's what that means. So why do you live your lives? What goals do you have? Is it bad to want a clean facility? No, but it's not an end of itself. It's supposed to be there to serve our Lord, to serve Christ, to desire adventure Is that bad? No, but it's supposed to be there to serve Christ. Desire for for leisure, is that bad? No, but it's supposed to be there to serve Christ. All of these things that we have are here to serve Christ. We come with them twisted, pointing in the wrong direction. But they need to be mended, fixed, so that they're all pointing towards Christ. Why? Why do we all need this? Why do we all need all of our passions and our gifts and our idiosyncrasies sanctified? For the building up of the body of Christ. I was reading a book on leadership, and they described leadership in a way that was just remarkable to me. That's why I'm remarking on it. That leadership isn't a hierarchy. We don't have a leader at top and then all of the people below them. You know, just doing what the leader says. That would be nice, but you guys don't do that anyway. So I had to, you know, throw away my idea of leadership. Um, Just stubborn Hosanna people. Rather, and this was from Stanley McChrystal. He said we should see leadership as a circle, a cycle. And the leader holds a place in that cycle. And everybody else holds a place in that cycle. And so then the leader leads and the people respond. So either the people respond and follow, or they respond and they don't follow. But you know what that does? That teaches the leader then. That teaches the leader where the people need to go. And then it cycles. And so then the people then show, teach the leader, and the leader teaches the people, and the people teach the leader. So if I'm teaching you guys something you're finding it doesn't work, you're not going to follow. You know what that teaches me? I shouldn't be teaching that. If the people don't follow... That's revelation to the leader that there's something wrong in the way they're teaching. And so also with all of our gifts, we exist within this interconnected web. And so as Kathy utilizes her gifts, that's going to affect Peg and Laverne. And as it blesses them, then their gifts might spread and affect Kermit and affect Rod. So that their gifts might grow and affect everybody else. So that the body of Christ might grow. Feeding upon itself. Encouraging each other. And so my role as pastor is to be a part of that, not to be all of that. Because I'm to be equipping the saints for the work of ministry. My job is to help heal you, just like a doctor. Lindy, can you heal anybody? No. Doctors don't have that power. Jesus does. Jesus does. Jesus has that power. Pastors don't have that power. I can't heal anybody's hurts. But I can show you the guy who has that power. I can lead you to Jesus. So that you can be mended and equipped. For the sake of the body. So that you can then help others in all of that role. For the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what gifts or abilities you have. It doesn't matter if you have the ability to come up and speak in front of people, which is funny because more people are actually afraid of public speaking than are afraid of dying. So if you don't like public speaking, get over it. No, you're in good company. What are your gifts? What has God given you? What talents do you have? These are gifts that God has given to you and God has given to the church for the sake of his kingdom. How do you use those for the sake of the kingdom? If you have questions about that, come to the pastor because this is one of my roles. But don't just come to me. Talk to God. Lord, how do I do this? You know, because I have to think through this too. How do I think through this desire for recognition? How do I think through that? How do I think through the desire for order in my life? How do, I, how do I use that for the kingdom of God instead of for the satisfaction of me? Because I'm just worshiping me. I'm a fool for a God. But if I'm doing this stuff for the sake of God, The one who actually gave it? The one who gave it in its purity? Wow. Then there's no end to the glory that it can bring. This is our calling and our place. Christ descended into the lowest place. So you can never say, I'm too bad, I can't be used. Nope, Christ was in hell. He took the sins of humanity upon him. And if Christ can ascend out of that Whatever you're dealing with, child's play. Jesus can lead you out. Not only lead you out, but show you how to use that for the sake of the kingdom. Something that's bigger than you. That's more worthy than we could ever understand. To dedicate our lives to. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for diversity. Lord, that we're all so uniquely strange. Thank you. Lord, and I pray that we would use our diversities to glorify you, we ourselves, to build up your body, or to do the work of ministry. Lord, that this world might come to know you because each of us are specifically important in this world. Lord, to unlock certain doors, help us to be bold, and embrace the gifts that you've given us but also to be humble and allow them to be sanctified by your grace. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.